Hi, my name is John Riddle and welcome to Murder Monday. And today we are going to be talking on this Substack channel, the Disney World Murders, which happened in January of 2020, just before lockdown. Uh, this year, the father of the family, Anthony Toad, was convicted of the murder of his wife Megan and three children um, and was given a whole life term for the rest of his life and the judge also added an extra year for the killing of the family dog. So dive in, have a look at see what happened in Florida. So let's take a dive in into the Disney World murders. So between Christmas and New Year of 2019, nestled within reach of the world of Disney is a small and picturesque town called Celebration but its illusion was tainted by the slain family of the Toads. Now, you've got to remember that some, somewhere like Celebration, it was a town created by Disney um, to give that very American feel, the wide boulevards, the long manicured front lawns with drives and uh, far-reaching porches with rocking chairs on. This was the kind of town that they came and settled in. But anyway, their body, the bodies of Megan, uh, who was age 41, along with their children, Alex, 13, Tyler, 11, and Zoe, age of four, and the family dog called Breezy, were discovered by the police. And the father, Anthony, was arrested and confessed to the murders um, and sentenced to, uh, sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Police uncovered during the investigation a story which just didn't fit the external paradigm of the Tote family. Um, it didn't prepare the world for what was to come. The harmony of the Tote household was obscured by lies and deception. So let's dive in a bit closer. Anthony and Megan were both physiotherapists. Uh, Megan was also a practicing yoga instructor. And the couple met and dated for eight years while running a successful practice in Colchester, Connecticut before getting married. After Megan fell pregnant, she became an at-home mom, focused on all, all of her, her time on raising her children and leaving Anthony to run the businesses. Um, well known throughout the family neighborhoods with a warm and friendly attitude, the Totes lived that perfect life. After school clubs, activities on the weekends, Anthony, who went by the short name of Tony to his friends, would volunteer and coach the Little League soccer. They attended well, children with music and art clubs and an array of sports clubs. And the family went on to Florida to live in the Sunshine State after finding that dream home in the Disney-inspired and developed town called Celebration, um, which was costing the family an eye-watering $5,000 a month. The town was very close to the American dream, wide-open spaces, like I said, with lush green parklands and long, perfectly manicured lawns. What Disney found to address was the stressful life of the 21st century. People these days are just not that people-y anymore. Homeowners from Celebration, like any town across the developed world, pull into their drive, walk through the side door and spend the entire weekend pretending they weren't home in order to avoid the rest of humanity. Uh, the town is located in the central belt of Florida and doesn't have season so it's warm pretty much all the time so in the fall they truck leaves in for the kids to play and it's christmas time they pump fake snow in the park so the kids can do the snow angels um, and creepily birdsong is piped through the trees in the parklands through speakers to give that kind of perfect feel somebody um being interviewed on a true crime podcast said it had a very you remember the truman show with jim carrey it had a very similar feel to the truman show and the facade of that kind of perfect american town i guess in the 21st century just doesn't exist these days 
But anyway, people came from all over. Um, but, oh, you know, people being people, they rarely found peace. Um, often if they're running away from trouble, the trouble has a habit of following them. And the Tow family was no exception. Pretty soon after the move, the cracks in their facade began to show. Megan had contracted Lyme disease after being bitten by a mosquito prior to their move. And then what followed was bouts of depression and some real sick ailments. And as a medical professional, it was very difficult to diagnose Lyme disease and you don't really see it that often Um, but she became insular and absent from her usual circle of friends which for Megan was very out of character and it didn't take long for Anthony to follow suit he became quite withdrawn um, and then you know they stopped answering the phone um, uh, and stopped attending the school clubs Anthony confided in a friend saying Megan was wrongly diagnosed and by the time doctors had figured out Megan's diagnosis something was quite significantly wrong with her um, and it was all centred around her liver. So the move to Florida was motivated by this because it was a perpetually warm state and Megan seemed to do well in that kind of climate. Uh, Anthony carried on with a business in Connecticut and travelling each week to and from Florida keeping the family in a rented house. Now I'm not from America but I know it's a bloody big place. You know, flying from... Florida to Connecticut working Monday to Friday and then flying back you know that's got to take its toll and it's like flying from the UK from Heathrow say to the south of France it's quite a distance so it's understandable that the father of three was stressed he had gained significant weight because of this and with all the stress and extra pounds um, he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and then the, the stress has kept on coming. So in the April, the authorities also began investigating in the physiotherapy clinic owned by Anthony and Megan. It became clear that Anthony was billing patient insurance companies for appointments and treatments when the patient had been long discharged. Authorities had contacted patients to discover Anthony had discharged them from his care but carried on in, invoicing the insurance companies. Um, two financial institutions filed lawsuits naming Anthony as the primary defendant and when special agents from the FBI came to the clinic and shut it down, they showed the staff at the door, and the money the toads owed the staff was now in the hands of the FBI. Anthony played the whole thing down, laughing and joking with the staff and the investigators and cracking open cans of beer. The behaviour seemed odd. Some staff had been right, seen the writing on the wall with Anthony's increased erratic behaviour. He was missing appointments, he was cancelling appointments at the last minute. And the patients and families of the children who loved attending Anthony's clinic had been complaining for some months prior to the FBI arriving at the clinic. On this particular day, after all the staff had left, Anthony then admitted to the fraud to the agents from the FBI. He mitigated Megan from the crime, stating his wife and children knew nothing about what he'd done. And as they were living in Florida, Anthony just basically said he overreached his line of credit and lying to the insurance company was easy, like taking candy from a child. But he didn't have any way of paying back the 100 grand that he owed. As Anthony had admitted to the fraud, it satisfied the agents. Anthony would then comply with any condition set. And on the face of it, he was looking at 12 months in prison for the fraud if found guilty. And he'd already admitted to it. The business was gone. But anyway, hindsight's a wonderful thing. With Thanksgiving around the corner, they allowed Anthony to travel back to Florida and spend some time with his family. He agreed to return to Connecticut on December 8th, and he needed to take on the service of an attorney, but he never showed. The evidence was damning, and what happened in the family home was up for debate. The family would return to Connecticut for Christmas and enjoy the snow and have friends and family over, but in 2019, 
After the investigators had raided the clinic, the family opted to stay in Florida. In the toad's absence at Christmas was noted by friends and family in Connecticut. Police were called several times to conduct welfare checks on the toad family at Christmas. And this is where members of the family were calling in the Florida State Police and asking them to go around their house because they hadn't heard anything. No one had called over Christmas. And there was a genuine, genuine increase in alarm as to what was going on at home. And there were some weird text messages that they were receiving from both Megan and Anthony. But there was no, when the police went around the houses, there was no sign of disturbance. And without the right court appointing warrants, police were powerless to do anything. They couldn't get an entry. They couldn't just knock the door down. As there was no sign of criminal act or anything that would indicate to the police that they needed to gain a forced entry there was nothing else the police could do but so the calls kept coming into the local sheriffs to keep doing the welfare checks and apart from driving to the house and knocking the door that was all they could really do uh, but the police had kept tabs on the house because they were aware it was on the, certainly on their radar and regularly driving past the house to see if anything had happened in the house if there was lights on or a door open or a car on the drive a notice appeared on the front door and it was an eviction notice from the landlord police made inquiries and interviewed the owner of the property Anthony had not paid their monthly rent for some time and now owed the landlord a significant sum of money um, and the landlord had no choice but to evict the family so the house appeared to be abandoned as the mail piled up at the front door and on the morning January 13th uh, agents from the FBI parked outside the house um, in relation to the fraud case but unaware of the repeated welfare checks that the local sheriffs had been conducting Anthony Toad, by some stroke of luck, then appeared on the porch, which surprised the officers in the car. They thought the house was empty. Anthony looked a little unkept, and he appeared to be shaking. The police went back to the landlord and got a key. With the permission of the landlord, the police allowed, were allowed a lawful entry into the property, and seasoned officers knew immediately something in the house was up in the house. The stench permeating the property told officers that there was a body. Officers raced through the house trying to locate the children. Anthony appeared at the top of stairs, still shaking but saying nothing. Police discovered Megan. She was stabbed to death and clutching a crucifix. The bodies of the children would be found soon. Zoe, because of her age, had decomposed at such a rate it was difficult to determine her body and the cause of death. Police also discovered the family dog Breezy, also dead. They had discovered large amounts of Benadryl in the toxicology report in the children's bodies, multiple stab wounds in the abdomen with tissue beneath the fingernails showing that they put up a struggle. The children, not dying quickly, were eventually smothered and died of asphyxiation. But there was only one suspect. In 2022, Toad was convicted of their murders and given whole life sentences for the murder of his family. Toad, at the police interview, had changed his story so many times it was difficult to decide what was truthful or what was not. For Millieside, where the family is slain by another member of the family is nothing new. History is littered with families killed by close family members. Something often centres around money and infidelity. With the totes, mental health, money issues, with the money issues with a criminal element to the cash may have given them no option but to make way for the exit far too early in life. Stress and mental health issues played a big part in these killings. I support the idea Megan knew about the crimes. Depressed after a Lyme disease infection and mismanagement of the diagnosis. They were close, they loved each other. A husband, myself, who loves my wife deeply. There's no secrets. I couldn't keep this from my wife if I stole money. Megan must have known that the house they were living in Florida was costing the earth and there was going to be a point 
the money would run out. Anthony's weight gain is also an obvious stressor. Along with the diabetes diagnosis, it must have opened a line of conversation between husband and wife. With a clutching of crucifix, I believe the family reckoned of a meeting in the afterlife, which has been widely reported. I believe the totes had entered some perverted suicide pact. Anthony killing Meg and sparing his wife from the torment of seeing her children die. He drugged the kids, then systematically stabbing them and smothering them to death. But even this notion is tough, is a tough concept to swallow. Megan was a committed mother. She loved her children without question and to her friends, although she, in the distance they saw no change in Megan, not the level Anthony was declaring. Anthony had taken dose after dose of Benadryl with little effect. The cold light of day and his own selfish preservation prevented him from pursuing his own suicide. A broken man, despair would have set in while his family slowly rotted around him, knowing at some point police were going to enter the property. After being sentenced, Anthony wrote to his father, most of the text was written in capitals and with some passages underlined of a story which had completely changed. Initially in the police interviews, Anthony stated he was looking for a piece of jewellery for his daughter Zoe in the family condo up the road. He fell asleep in the condo while leaving the back door to the family home open. When he awoke in the morning, he entered the property and he came across Megan. She had killed the children at this point, all slain in their beds. In the letter to his father, the story he told authorities had changed completely. He blamed the deaths on his children at the hands of their mother, Megan, because of her mental illness, and in a fit of despair, killed the children, then committed suicide. Anthony begged Anthony not to call the police, and soon she would join them. Anthony didn't want to wax lyrical about the children in a way a genuine father would be grieving. He mentioned about cleaning them and laying them to rest in his bed where Megan was now laying. She stabbed herself in the abdomen multiple times. While her life was slowly ebbing away, she tried to use Anthony's hand to smother herself. Now let's just dial back a minute, okay? So he's come back to the house and he's found his wife in a state. She's in a bit of a state, right? And she's killed the children. He's clocked three children dead in their rooms and that's upsetting, right? At no point he did actually want to call the police in his letter, but she begged him not to. And at no point did he just call the police and at no point did he sit and watch his wife gut herself with a kitchen knife doesn't make sense to me this story isn't even plausible when someone's dying from a stab wound to the abdomen the pain would be intolerable even with the high doses of opiates it would take some time before massive blood loss had taken its toll pain would have consumed megan when the coroner investigates the death, they're not just looking at the causation, but methods which the person had died. Megan had died of multiple stab wounds, receiving the wounds via a violent and frenzied attack, which were at an angle where it would have been impossible for Megan to do herself. Anthony had mentioned previously he wished to honour his wife Megan and keep her soul alive inside of him. Yet this rambling piece of drivel runs her into the ground blaming her for the whole variety of everything wrong in Anthony's life. She would wake in the middle of the night with a heart rate of 180. That's not possible, by the way. If this were the case, Megan would have been diagnosed with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, and this would unlikely wake you during the night. She had contracted a drug-induced hepatitis. I'm not sure how that's possible, as hepatitis is a blood-borne pathogen. If this was the case, they would have a legal claim to a con two contaminated needles. Megan had lost all of her feminine features. I'm not even going to give that a comment. Megan was in control of the finances. It was Megan who was responsible for the embezzlement, and he had no idea anything about it. Anthony stated Megan 
could do nothing in the house. And when he came home from Florida at weekends, he would have to bathe her, cook all the meals for the whole week, and provide a continuous process of physiotherapy for his wife. What I'm guessing is Anthony is laying the groundwork for him to mitigate himself from any wrongdoing. The home invasion potential would never sway with any jury. Place such a celebration where crime was low to have a random house invasion with nothing stolen or destroyed with a whole family, lest the father murdered, is just preposterous. Blaming the dead mother of his children who can't defend herself in is the thinking of a pathetic excuse of a man soiling the very nature of his wife. At some point, Anthony has to take accountability and responsibility for his actions. Gain insight into this level of stress in Anthony's life prior to the murders. Professionally, Anthony was a physiotherapist. In the medical world, we refer to them colloquially as physioterrorists, medical professionals who focus on the skeletal muscular function. In 20 years, I've never come across an unhealthy, obese physio. Yet here we have a well-known practitioner who gained an alarming amount of weight, something I know a lot about and something we need to dive a bit deeper to understand this further. His weight gain in the latter part of his life shows to me Anthony was feeling a sense of lack. The sudden weight gain had developed into type 2 diabetes, which is unusual for someone who had been fit for most of their life. His wife had withdrawn, was depressed. He missed her. He said this to a friend. I miss my bubbly wife. His lack in his life would have left a hole. Some people would have would turn to another for comfort, love and nurturing. Men, through time and memorial, have done this when their wife's attention is focused on bringing up, say, the children. The abandonment Anthony felt with the mounting money worries. Is it any wonder he turned to food to find some kind of self-soothing? His eating would have become something consuming. His level of toxic shame would have been obvious to him each time he passed a mirror or shot window. Every ounce of weight is an ounce of pain, right? The bottom of this sliding scale of mental health is suicide ideation. I know this because where I skirt each day, the level of self-loading every time I look in the mirror when I walk past a shop window, when the negative self-talk gains momentum and I'm sat there thinking, and I'm sat there still eating, the only thing left, well, you know, Anthony had attempted suicide eight times, a medical professional who was using Benadryl. This would be the equivalent of cutting your wrist with a blunted butter knife. There are so many failures in Anthony and I won't give him the dignity of harmonising with his suicide attempts. I call bullshit on them. I know he wanted to die and I kind of support the suicide pact when there is no hope. What else is there when mental health concerns are at play? What Anthony failed to do was kill himself after he killed the family. Anthony, in his letter to his father, also mentioned about a book. Prison guards suggested Anthony write a book when he got out of prison. prison. Something, thankfully, Anthony Tote will never do, walk out of a prison. And for me, as awful as this sordid, gruesome tale of murder has taken a family away from friends and loved ones who are still missed. But the one thing you must never do is kill the dog. As a writer, the one thing I would never do is kill the dog in any of my stories. This piece of shit killed the family dog. If there is a place on the other side for assholes like Anthony Toad who murdered their family, killing the dog requires another level of damnation. I was pleased to read the judge gave him another year tagged on to the end of his whole life sentences. That one's for Breezy. Anyway, that brings me to the end of uh, this episode of Murder Monday. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Next week, I've got a real doozy for you. I'm going to talk about David Fuller, absolute creature of a human. Well, he's not even human. Um, but he's only just been sent to prison and his case is quite remarkable um but it's uncomfortable it's it involves murder and um he was also convicted of being a necrophile so this chat worked in a in an nhs hospital in the uk and was um 
interfering with uh, dead bodies in the mortuary. But um, he was arrested for murder, for two murders that had happened 33 years ago. And it was his DNA that was found at the scene, which was a positive match for to him. So it's quite a... And there's not much written on it because it's all very, very new. It's also a bit taboo and a bit risque. Um, you know, killing people is one thing, but having sex with your nan while she's lying on a mortuary slab, well, that's just another story, isn't it? But that'll be out next week. So anyway, hit subscribe, hit me up, check me out on Facebook, and uh, have a great week. Stay frosty.